As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. The Holy Spirit. A talk by Father Larry Richards. Thank you. Oh, let's pray in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great God of love and mercy. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, not a cowardly spirit, but one that will make us strong, loving, and wise, that we may know your will and do your will because it's your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Are you ready? I don't think so. I'm just saying. Today. You know, I'm glad to be able to speak here with you this morning. And they asked me to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is one of my greatest things ever, is to speak about the Holy Spirit. In fact, when I do, I do a lot in the States, I do a lot of parish missions, you know, so I go in and I'll take a uh, parish over for four nights and I speak for two hours every night, you know. And so, and the biggest thing is about the, the, how we have to surrender to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. And I do a men's conferences, women's conferences, of different things. I've been a pastor now for 17 years at the same parish, an inner city parish. And it's a great, very, uh, by God's grace, the people are very dynamic and everything. And it's again, all attributed because of the Holy Spirit. And when I sit there and I talk, like when, like here, I'm here for 10 days, I'm doing 32 talks. And it's going to be the end of me. I sit there. I came here the other day in Melbourne last week and I had dark hair and see what's happened in these <laughs> last couple things. But what happens is, is that when often people sit there and ask, uh, you know, Father, where do you get your energy? Because you see, I have, I have lots of energy. And uh, where do you get it? And I always say, the Holy Spirit sets me on fire. And then people come to watch me burn. And what has to happen is that same reality for all of us. See, no, see, sometimes we try to do what we're, you know, doing these things and we do it under our own power and it doesn't work. Like the number, and this has nothing to do with you, but it's part of what you do. Like I have, I do a lot of priest retreats now too, now that I'm older. And the number one complaint in the States anyway, I don't know about here, amongst priests is they don't preach well, you know, Number one complaint among those priests, don't preach well at all. And uh, so my foundation, I have a foundation called The Reason for Our Hope. And so one of the things we're beginning next year is teaching priests how to preach. And to do that, and we have to, they have to, they have to, it's a five day thing and they have to, uh, you know, get videoed three weeks in a row and then they send it in to us and then we have these experts go through about how to be a better speaker. But when I deal with the priests, my biggest thing with them is to teach them anointed preaching. Anointed preaching is different than preaching. Because when someone preaches, they'll sit there and, okay, I have to think of a homily and, oh, I'll tell a joke and maybe this. And, you know, or they'll, they'll explain to you something from the scriptures and they, they use these words you never heard before and da, da, da. And it's like, ah. So you go to Mass and like, ah. But if it's anointed, meaning the only one that knows what's going on inside your heart right now is God, not me. But if you surrender the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit of God who is within me can then touch your spirit inside of you because the same Spirit's in all of us. And so like I always tell when I'm doing like a priest retreat, I say, fathers, you got to preach anointedly through the Holy Spirit. That means you got to be a person of prayer or keep your mouth shut because it ain't going to help. 
You know, and so the best thing to do when it comes to this, you know, and you, I'm sure you've all heard the, you have chocolate milk here, right? Yeah. And you ever sit there and have a, uh, like, so all of us, by definition, when you got, we got baptized, God filled us with his spirit. And when you got confirmed, God filled us with his spirit. And so what happens is like in the States, like we have Hershey syrup. Do you have Hershey syrup here? You poor people. Syrup. It's chocolate syrup. It's all the same. Anyway, so you sit there and you get a glass of, well, something that had that, like Ovaltine, where you mix that, you know. Nah, nah. But if you sit there and you have a glass of milk and you have the squeeze, you know, the syrup, and you squeeze it into the glass of milk, well, what happens? You have two inches of milk in the bottom of the glass, right? And it's like, oh, what do you got to do to, to uh, make a chocolate? You got to stir it up. Well, all of us have been given the Holy Spirit. He's been in your soul and my soul since we were baptized and confirmed. But the problem is, in a lot of people's souls, he's just sitting there. There he is. What do we got to do? Is we got to stir him up. And then when we stir him up, I love it when, you know, in, in um, the Word of God in Timothy. You know, I love it because priests and bishops need to hear this a lot. But I love St. Paul when he's talking to Timothy. And there he is. Timothy, of course, is a bishop. And so here's Paul. And he's talking to him and he says in 1 Timothy here, or 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason, I remind you to stir into a flame the gift of God bestowed when my hands were laid upon you. So he's telling his bishop, listen, bishop, remember, just because you've been, you know, some of them think canonized, but just because you sit there and think you're a bishop, that's not enough. Oh, I got the gift. Yeah. You got to stir the gift up. And so all of us, all of us, God has called us to be ministers, correct? You're a minister, not of you, but of God. And he gives you the spirit so you can use that and be the greatest minister. Like, for instance, there's a great book on the Holy Spirit by a Protestant man named Francis Chung. And he's a Protestant minister, and it's called The Forgotten God. Because the Holy Spirit's the forgotten God, huh? You know, we talk about him. We don't really get the Holy Spirit. You know, we think of a dove or whatever it is, and I don't get it. But the reality is the forgotten God, he has this great thing in there. He says, what if you want to be a good football player, whatever your sport happens to be, and you want to be the best football player or whatever, and then you're praying and praying, I want to be the best, I want to be the best, I want to be the best, and then God finally appears to you and says, you want to be the best? Yes. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to live inside of you, and I'm going to play football for you. Your job is to get out of the way. Do you think you'd be a good football player or cricket, whatever you do down here? You think you'd be the best? I mean, God's going to play in me? That's what, that's, he's going to play that? Yes, he's going to play within you. Whoa. Okay, that'll be good. Well, God says, I want you to be the best Christian there is. And that's how we're going to do it. I am going to come and live inside of you. Your job is to get out of the way and let me operate. Huh? As John the Baptist says, he must Increase, I must decrease. And so that's humility. Humility is necessary to stir the spirit within you. Huh? They gave you my book, Surrender, you know. And when you, when you see it, it's a challenging book, but it's also the whole purpose of Surrender, the book, is to surrender to God's Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's every, every, after each chapter, there's a prayer and uh, about different talks about how to have this daily surrender to God. It's only eight chapters. 
But in the midst of it all, when we're coming to this, the, the, what, what, we're, what it's called to is this holiness. Like when I sign people's books, I always say the same thing. And my, and my, uh, my main ministry, you'll be able to tell this, is to, uh, I have my number one book is called Be a Man. And what I deal with more than anything else is men and men's conferences. And so when people come up to me and they say, Father, would you sign my book? Of course. And I say, what's your name? Joe. Joe. Be a saint. And then I'll say, God bless Father Larry, and I'll hand it back to them and say, or go to hell. <gasps> but that's the only choice you have, ladies. You become a saint or you go to hell. It's there's no, well, what if I go to purgatory, Father? You're going to be a saint. That's the process. But these are our choices, huh? This reality that God's calling us to be holy. And again, people don't get it. Like I have in my, in my car at home, my license plate on my car says, you are good, G-O-O-D. Basic Catholic teaching. We believe everybody, pagans, atheists, everybody is basically good. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, if given the choice between good and evil, man will always choose the good, even if it's an apparent good, Right? That's how, that's how we know that there's atheists that are good people. How's it possible? That they are, because they're created in God's image and likeness. That's how it's possible. And so, so we're basically good. And so we always want to do what is good. But if I was to ask you if you're good, everybody here would say what? Yes, yes I'm a good person. I'm a good person, Father. <laughs> what the heck? Don't make me feel bad. No. But if I said, are you a holy person? Most of you would say no, and that's a lie. You are holy. What does holiness mean? Holiness means to be set apart for God, right? So we're going to have mass right after this, and we'll take the chalice, and the chalice is consecrated, and so that's been set apart for God. Now, if you take a chalice, and after it's been used for the precious blood of Jesus, and I say, and I take some Coca-Cola or whatever you drink down here, and let's pour that into that, and I drink it, and I use it to drink some Coke or whatever. What's that called? A sacrilege. Because you've used something set apart for God for the profane. You have been put upside for God. You are holy. Now, you got to grow in holiness, of course. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. But when you sit there and know that you have been chosen and set apart for God to do His will, and what holiness is, what sanctity is, and again, in Hebrews chapter 12, you all know Hebrews chapter 12, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, and strive for that holiness without which you will not see the Lord. Holiness is not an option. It's not for these saints, you know, these big ones. They just canonized Paul VI yesterday and Oscar Romero and all those things. Holiness is for all of us. And so we need to grow in that. And so what holiness is, is when God's will and my will become one, right? When God's will and my will become one. And the greatest example of that would be our Blessed Mother, correct? You know, the world was saved by Jesus, but through Mary's yes. She could have said no. And if she didn't, see, and that's part of the reality of all of our lives, the power that we have. 
I started, of all things, a women's conference, and I have a women's group, and uh, it's called 138 Women. And 138 Women is based on Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, is the fiat of Mary. Let it be done to me according to your word. And Islam, you know, means surrender, right? And it means, it's, oh, yeah, if God wills it, he wills it. Yeah. That's not Mary's surrender at all. Mary's fiat, let it be done to me, is I want your will more than I want my next breath. Right? I want your will more than I want my next breath. Now, we have the two examples of the strongest women in history that made the greatest thing in all of the world. Eve and Mary. Eve, when she was confronted with the will of God, said no. And when she said no, she brought death to herself, death to her family, and death to all of us. Huh? One woman saying no to the will of God. Then you get Eve, Mary, the new Eve. And Mary, when confronted with the will of God, says yes. Brings life to herself, life to her family, life to the world. In our ministries, whatever ministries we're involved in, we have two choices. We can do it our way or we can do it God's way. I love to tell people all the time, the theme song of everybody in hell is what? I did it my way. Huh? Do you love that song? You're going to love hell. They sing it every moment of every day. I did it my way. So when it when it comes to ministry, a lot of people, not you, but other people, like to do ministry their way. This is the way I do it. Well, it'll be ineffective in the long run. You might make little changes here and there, and people might smile at you every once in a while. You're so good, thank you. But it will not have an everlasting change. And what, especially in this ministry, what you're looking for is an eternal change in people eternally changing and transforming them. And that'll only happen when we do it God's way. And that means the first thing for any kind of minister, like, what do you think, and doing priests all the time, what do you think the number one problem with the priesthood is today amongst priests? What is it? Lack of priests. Lack of priests, no. Disconnection to people. Disconnection to people, some. They don't pray. You, you know, and I'm telling you this, as I'm a priest 30 years now in April, and I do a lot of priest retreats. The number one problem with priests is they don't pray. Now, not all priests, of course. I'm saying that if there's a problem with a priest, whether it's a scandal or everything else, it all comes back to their lack of prayer. Because it's in prayer. You ever notice when Mary said fiat, if you ever have almost any image of Mary at the Annunciation, Mary's always kneeling there or sitting there, and she has in front of her what? A book. What's the book? The Word of God. She's in prayer with the Word of God, and then the Word of God takes up residence inside of her. When we are people of prayer, when we go to the Word, because that's where people get transformed at, when we go to the Word, when we're spending time with God every day, then we become the instruments of God. Now we have anointedness. And what God who lives within us, now we can bring him forth to everybody else. Because let me give you a hint. 
Father Larry ain't going to change the world and you're not going to change the world. God's going to change the world using us. And like I like to say, I don't say this with women, but if I was with a bunch of priests, God can use any jackass. And I'm a jackass. Now, you ladies are not jackasses. I'm not saying. But he can use anybody if you're willing and you want. And if you want to be the most effective, then you got to be this person of prayer. Now, prayer is always more listening than it is talking, right? So it's always seeking God's will first because God has a will. And first, the, the first will of God is that God wants all people. The opening line of the surrender book is God wants you in heaven. Huh? That's what he wants. God wants everybody in heaven. Remember the word of God says he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of his truth. Saved truth. He wants all people to be saved by knowing the truth. And the ultimate truth about God is what? God is love. That's the ultimate truth. But the problem is, if we ourselves don't experience this love, then it's hard to give it. Like with the Divine Mercy, I have great devotion to Divine Mercy. Every morning I say Divine Mercy Chaplain because I need mercy. But I always talk about like now in the church, everybody's really into not mercy. We have to worry about justice, justice. And I always say, you're right. Let's start with you. <laughs> Miss or Mr. Justice person, let's start with you. You know, we just went with Brett Kavanaugh off in the, you know, up in the States and they went after him for something he did in high school. Now, ladies, unless you're perfect here, if they went after me for stuff I did in high school, I wouldn't be a priest. You know, a lot of us have done things in our life that we might not be proud of when we were younger. And when they start pulling it up in justice name, I say, okay, great, let's do it. But let's do it for everybody. And let's start with you who wants it first. Let's start with your life. Let's talk with justice with you. We need to come and experience the mercy because and experience the love. But if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you go and there's the, the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful, filled, life-filled uh, uh, sea there. It's just unbelievable. All the trees, the, the fish, everything that's going on there. And then you go to the Sea of the Dead Sea, and it's dead. Like dead. Like bleh, dead. It's like a big mud puddle. Why? Because the Sea of Galilee receives and gives. The Dead Sea just receives. And what happens is when we become people that just want mercy for us or love for us or everything, we die. Because, like, again, the way I tell my people is, like, let's say there is a divine mercy image here. There is a crucifix here. Okay, so the crucifix here. Thank you. So you go here, and if you ever read Saint uh, Pope, I mean Pope Benedict's uh, thing, God is Love. It's one of the most best encyclopedias you ever read, and you'd think it'd be very high and holy. It's so good. It's so simple. And one of the things Benedict says, he says, when you talk about the love of God, the love of God is this: look on the pierced side of Jesus on the cross. That's what we mean when we say God is love. Isn't that great? This is what we mean when we say God is love, the pierced side. And so it's the place of mercy. So what I always tell people at the Divine Mercy Sunday when we're talking about mercy, I say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand into the side of Christ and let his blood and water, his mercy come into you. But you can't just stop there, you'll die. Then reach out your other hand and bring that mercy to everybody you meet. You know, like I tell people, 
To be an instrument of peace or to experience peace, you got to give peace. You ever sit there and want to talk, you know, people about, uh, I want peace, I want peace. I said, you're never going to have peace. Thank you very much. What if I do yoga? You're not going to have peace. Sorry. The only way you're going to have peace is when you decide to become an instrument of peace. When you let the peace of God come into you and then you reach it out to want to bring it to others. And when you bring it to others, it comes right through you. And the more you have your hand out, the more you become this instrument of peace. So one of the first things I encourage people in any kind of ministry is you've got to specifically pray for the people you're ministering to. Huh? And I mean specifically, I mean write the thing down. I used to teach high school, college here, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, uh, you know, 14 years old, 18 years old. And I taught all boys. And uh, there was one kid I couldn't stand. You know, because here I am, I was a brand new teacher. All boys, they always try to be who's going to be the strongest person here. So if you're not strong as a teacher with the boys, they will eat you alive. And so no boys could eat me alive. Trust me. I just did a retreat for them a couple of weeks ago. And, they, uh, and it's been uh, almost 20 years since I've been out of the school. And the, the, the seniors, I'm doing the seniors, and they come in and one of the teachers says, Father, are you ready to go into belly of the beast? And I says, oh, no, no. They're going to meet the beast. There is none of this. So here I am. And I was teaching. I taught morals and the juniors. And so I'm writing on the blackboard. And I turn around, and there's this kid. And he has his shoes off. He has his head's behind his, his hands behind his head like this. He has his feet up on the desk in front of him. And I turn around. I have anger issues. Sorry, ladies. I just do. And I says, you get your feet off that desk now. And he looked at me and said, you say please. Oh, I literally grabbed him and threw him out. This is 25 years ago. You could do that in those days. You can't do it now. <laughs> threw him out of the desk. You get the heck out of this right now. And he says, you're a jerk. It's because of people. You just got another two hours attention. Oh, I couldn't stand him. He was a pain in my back pew. And I just couldn't stand this kid. Hated his guts. And you, do you ever realize there's people you minister to you don't like? Or no, you're all perfect women. Oh, Father, I love them all. Oh, one after another. I get it. I get it. So I'm very happy you're all saints here. But anyway, I'm not. So I'm sitting there, and I couldn't stand them. And so uh, I would sit there, and of course, I would sit in his chair when he wasn't there, of course, early in the morning, and I'd sit in his chair, and I'd say, Jesus, you've got to change my heart towards this kid. I hate his guts. you got to change my heart towards this kid. And then when I do my holy hour every day, I was starting a retreat program called Divine Mercy Encounter. And uh, the Lord says, I want you to invite, because this is what happens in prayer. God tells you what he wants. That's why it's so important that we're praying and we're listening. And he'd say, uh, Larry, yeah, I want you to invite uh, Justin to the retreat. I will not. Are you kidding me? I am not. You know, it's one thing to listen. It's another thing to obey. But anyway, so I'm sitting here saying, you know, uh, Lord, uh, no, I can't stand him. There's no way. And every day, one day, literally, and it's so many years ago, it's almost embarrassing to talk about it. But I actually took the newspaper into my prayer time so I would not have to listen to Jesus because I, I hated the kid. And even after I'm saying, change my heart, change my heart, my heart wasn't changing. So anyway, I find, okay, so I'll never forget, we're in class, and he's sitting in the back, and I said, Fatika, yes, Father, we're having a retreat. Do you want to come? I already know Jesus, Father. And I says, well, maybe you could tell the rest of us about him. Ugh. We came on retreat, completely 
completely transformed. He came to know Jesus. And if you ever hear the name Justin Fatika, he has a ministry called Heart as Nails Ministry. If you ever watch EWTN, he's the you're amazing person. He just started a religious order. He has five kids, but he just started a religious order. It has five uh, boy, I mean, guys studying for the priesthood, for this layman. And it's all because I obeyed God in prayer and someone I hated I allowed God to change my heart towards them. And there isn't two weeks ago by that literally Justin doesn't call me and say, Father, I love you. Thank you for bringing me to Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's still, and, and he's really la-la. You know, he's just like, ah. And he sits there and says, I just love you so much, Father. Goes, Shut up. You know, I'm not big into intimacy stuff. You know, when he calls me, I go, just stop that. But the thing of it is, if I wasn't praying and obeying and listening, he would have never come to where he is at now. And he changes the world more than any kid. He's 40 years old. He just turned 40. But the guy, like he deals with, the, you know, a lot of us deal with, know, maybe, maybe not down here. I have no idea before I even say that. But a lot of people in the Catholic Church, we sometimes just deal with the, you know, the good people, the, you know, they have nice families or whatever. He goes to the street kids. And I mean, the street kids, they're in gangs and everything else. And he's this big weightlifter type guy. And he's real jumping around. And, and once a guy sat there and he said something to this guy. And a guy, this, uh, a senior, uh, took out a knife and was going to kill him. He had the knife up to Justin's neck. And Justin says, jeez, you don't have the guts to kill me. And even if you did, I would still love you. And the kids started to sob. And he turned around and hugged him and different things. So Fatika's a strong man, but he's one of the most loving people ever. So the point of it is, when we minister to people, we got to be praying for them. And one of the biggest things I can encourage you to do is if you, like I put his name down also on a piece of paper. And so what I encourage, you know, because the biggest thing we're all doing is we're evangelizing, are we not? That's the whole thing that you're doing is evangelization. Well, evangelization, first of all, is only by the Holy Spirit, Right. Remember, if you, if you go to uh, uh, the Acts of the Apostles here, here you talk, there's a bunch of uh, uh, scared men, which pretty easily, and there's a bunch of scared men before Jesus, uh, you know, they're hanging, getting around there. And it says right before Jesus dies, he says in uh, Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then what? You will be my witnesses. So the main thing we do when we minister is we're witnessing to Jesus. We're inviting people to know Jesus Christ. That's it. You know, sometimes people want to just do social justice, which I'm very strong in social justice. But social justice without Jesus is like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. It's just fixing a little problem for now. We have eternal problems we got to deal with. And that means... You know, I have a new book called, coming out called Just Live It, Living the Ten Principles of the World's Most Famous Prayer, which would be the Lord's Prayer. So I have it broken up. So my opening line of the new book is, you were created by love to be love in a world that doesn't know love. The, God, the ultimate truth is God is love. But what he's calling us to be is love. We're called to be love in a world that doesn't know it. And all of us are going to love in our own ways. I'm a strong person. You know, some people are very uh, turned off by me. This is, this is the only thing I know is the way I am. 
But for me to love people, I'll do it in the way God created me. God created you differently for you to love differently. But the point of all this is, is we must be love. There's only one thing everybody asks you and me, sir or ma'am, I would like to see Jesus. That we're supposed to be Christ to the world. You know, we don't have to hit people over the head. You give your life to Jesus Christ right now. We show them. You know, it's amazing. There's a, there's a great book written by a Protestant. He's a, uh, uh, he's a lawyer of all things. Uh, it's, uh, it just came out a couple months ago called Everybody Always. Anybody read this by Bob Goff? Number one on the New York, uh, New York Times list. And he's a, Luther, he's a, uh, a Protestant um, uh, lawyer. But he has a big thing, and he says in the first chapter, I hate, I hate the book because it's one of those things like, oh, I hate this, I hate this, because it's all the things I don't do well. And he says, Jesus never asked us to go around telling people what he meant. He told us to go around doing what he does, which is loving people. And I go around telling people what he meant. <laughs> I hate it. I go, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because I find it easy to love God. Easy. It's hard for me to love people. Now, some of you might be great lovers of people. I'm not one of them. And so I always say, Lord, you want me to be love when I, it's, I struggle with this? Yes, I do. That, okay, so we got to be Christ of the world. we got to be incarnate love. And you know, there's that one story, you might have heard it before, about the man who was captured in the Second World War. And while he was captured in the Second World War, he was uh, put in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, and they treated him badly. You know, he was a prisoner of war. But at the same time, there was a, a Japanese man that was trying to help the Americans, and he was a traitor. So when they captured him, they tortured him terribly. And they would throw him in the cell every night with the American. And the American, who was a Christian, would take his own food and give it to the Japanese man, and he'd try to heal the wounds of this man as best he could. And this happened on for like a month. One day, they threw the Japanese man back in the cell, and they had tortured him so badly when he got thrown back in the cell, the American knew he wasn't going to make it. He was going to die that night. And so the man thought, I've shared everything with this man except for Jesus. So he knelt next to him and he says, you know, you're probably going to die. He says, but if you just surrender your life to Jesus, you will live forever. You know what the Japanese man said to the American? He says, if this Jesus is anything like you, I can't wait to meet him. Our first job is to show people Jesus, is to be Jesus for them. So that, and ladies, could your husband say that about you? Oh, honey bun. If Jesus Christ is anything like you, I can't wait to meet him. Huh? Could your kids say that about you? Oh, ma, if Jesus Christ is anything like you, I can't wait to meet him. You see, the call by God is to be this love. Now, love speaks truth. Love isn't, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Of course it matters what you do. It eternally matters what you do. But what happens is we, see, the problem is the church in the, throughout the centuries has sometimes messed it up, I believe. If we start off in the Old Testament, before God gave the Ten Commandments to the people, what did he do first? He set them free from their slavery. Right? So the way God works is he sets people free from their slavery and then he gives them the commandments. When Jesus met the woman caught in adultery, 
Now, when the, the Word of God says she was to be stoned, he knows it because he is the Word of God. And when he sat there, and you know, nowadays it's always a big thing. You know, when he says, does anyone condemn you after he says, those who would not sin be the, uh, cast the first stone. And then, of course, you all know the story about the little old lady came in with this big rock and threw it on her and says, oh, mom, sometimes you make me really mad. <laughs> Did you get it yet? That would be his blessed mother, the only one without sin, the only one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> she took a big rock, the only one, those without sin. There's only one other person, Mary, who had no sin. Oh, forget it when you have to explain these things. So anyway, and then he sat there and he says, uh, then he sits there and he says, uh, does anyone condemn you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. And then the nuts came. Hey! And then he said, go and sin no more. Shut up. I know it. I've been a priest 30 years. Thank you very much. But first, he said, I don't condemn you. He loved her, set her free. And then he said, go and sin no more. We try to put commandments on people who have never experienced being set free by Jesus Christ. That's why it doesn't work. And sometimes we get people that know and they do all these right things and they do good things, but they don't know Jesus. My biggest thing in, in preaching, when I do a priest retreat, when I do any kind of retreat, is I take it for granted most people there don't know Jesus Christ. They do good things, they follow all the rules, they could do ministry, but do they have this relationship with Jesus Christ? Meaning, like I say, do you know, because remember, you don't have the Baltimore Catechism here, do you? Or do you? Used to be big. I don't know what it's in the universal catechism now. But all kids over 50, when I was growing up, we all knew the same thing. And everybody older than me in the States. Who made me? God made me. Why did God make me? God made me to know him, to love him and serve him in this world so I can be happy with him forever in the next. It's been around a long time. And so this is the meaning of life. Why did God make me? He made me to know him. So the first question I always have to ask is, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him like you know your husband? Do you know him like you know your children? Do you have this relationship with him? I'll never forget when I was young, I was, uh, did uh, in Grand Canyon, I used to do this Christian ministry in a national park, and there was a, uh, a girl there who was a Protestant, and we're all getting ready to move in. We're all Christians, we're all ministering in the park, and we're getting ready to go out, all the, all the ministers, and she, she come up and she's all excited, and she says, you know what Jesus did for me today? What? Like Jesus did something for you today? Like, like it was, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the seminary. And I'm like, like, you, you know Jesus? Like, he, he did something for you today? And it blew me away. Like, what the heck? She knows Jesus. I'm a seminarian. I don't know Jesus. I, 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 I want to I, I wanna know Jesus. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm, I'm praying every day. But I wasn't listening. I wasn't in this relationship, huh? And so that's the, it, it blew me away that here's this girl who knew Jesus. And one of the ways I can often talk about whether we know Jesus or not, is like I was in Florida once and I had just done a parish mission and I was driving down to uh, another place to do a men's conference on a Saturday. It was a six hour drive, which I didn't know when I said yes to this. And so I had the rental car and I was fatter in those days. And so I took off my collar and I put it in the seat next to me. And in and, and Florida, every five miles almost, there's a toll, a toll booth. So I'm driving down, I get to the toll booth and 
the woman sat there after I give her my daughter, whatever it was. And she says, and how are you today, sir? <clears throat> I said, I'm blessed. And she says, don't we serve a great and mighty God? And I said, we serve a great and mighty God. And then I pulled away. And there was one thing I knew about that woman. She was not a Catholic, right? Because you ask Catholics how they are. <laughs> oh, the valley of tears that I am in. Oh, the sufferings that I got to go through. Oh, Father, would you pray for my conversion of my children? Oh, I don't know why I put up with this husband. Oh, and always we do is we go around and we do that B word, you know, ends with an itch. It's just really just complain, complain, complain. And we're wondering, why doesn't everybody come running to the Catholic Church? It's amazing. Why don't they come running? Because why aren't, you know, and again, another part of Florida, and there was this African-American woman, and I was dropping off my rental car early in the morning, and I'm in my clerics and everything now, and so she says, and how are you today, sir? I said, I am blessed. And she sat there and says, I said, how are you? She says, blessed and highly favored. And I said, oh, thank you, ma'am. You are blessed and highly favored. You see, when you start, and I love it if I'm not in my clerics, because every time anybody asks me, how are you? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And usually, like, if you're at a store, somebody say, how are you today, sir? I'm blessed. Uh, 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 uh. They don't know how to respond. But that is a witness. You're telling people that you're blessed. And then they're attracted to that. On the way coming from Sydney, to, uh, yesterday I got in, early in the morning, I'm at the airport, and I go and I'm uh, um, just, you know, they have those things, the kiosks or whatever in the airport. And there was this woman there. And so I come in and she says, how are you today? And I go, I'm blessed. And she looked at me like, huh? And then uh, I walked around the little store there and I said, OK, sorry, I, 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 I ain't going to buy anything. Um, I, and so she said, where are you going? I said, I'm going up to Sydney to talk to some people. And, that. and she, I says, so I said, I came in here with dark hair and I'm gray and da, da, da. And then I went and I sat down. And as I go and sit down, two minutes later, this woman comes over to me and she has a bottle of water and she says, here, sir, she wasn't Catholic. Here, sir, I want you to have this. And so she gave me this bottle of water. I said, oh, thank you. And she says, no worries, no worries. It's just, I just want you to have that. Because I witnessed to her that when we're in Christ, we're blessed. And that little thing, when everybody asks you, how are you? And you just say, blessed? You're planting something deep in their heart because they're thinking, well, how come she's blessed and I'm not? I don't know. And the reality is we're always blessed. There's good in your life and there's bad in your life, right? And you just, it focuses on what you want to focus on. You know, you ever get depressed? Yeah, everybody gets depressed. But the reality is what happens is, is when we get depressed or whatever, it's usually because something bad happened, one thing, and we obsess with it. It could be something as simple as your, your husband didn't kiss you on the way out the door this morning. Like, what's the problem with that? And all day you're thinking, that miserable son of a son. What's the, after all I did for him, I am miserable. And you're depressed all day because of one thing. And the devil gets in there and he multiplies it and multiplies it and multiplies it. And you obsess over it. And that steals your joy. So what happens is, I always tell people when you're having a bad day, Write all the reasons you're having a stinky day and all the reasons you should be depressed on a piece of paper. You'll never fill a piece of paper. I promise you. It's usually just a couple things that are driving you crazy. And then you obsess over that and obsess that. Okay, take that and put it aside. Now put another sheet of paper. 
Right? All the reasons you're blessed. I can walk. I can talk. I can see. I can hear. I can eat. I live in a free country. I know Jesus Christ. I know this. Da-da. I know. I know. And you'll always have much more to praise God for than to be depressed over. And what happens those days when you're getting crazy? See, my degree is in counseling. What you think is what you feel. So if you're thinking life sucks or whatever you say here, that's how you're going to feel. But when you think and you're thinking about all goodness of God, so you sit there, so when you're getting down, you go, thank you, God, that I can see. Thank you, God, that I can hear. Thank you, God, that I can walk. Thank you, God, that I can talk. Thank you, God, that I can eat. And you start praising God, you will be lifted up because you're going to stop the way your mind's thinking and replace it, get rid of the stinking thinking with blessed thinking. So something as simple as when you're ministering and people say, how are you today? Say, I'm just tired. I'm blessed. Are you nuts? Are you Protestant? You're Protestant, aren't you? You go to Hillsong over there, don't you? You're not really a Catholic, are you? You go, yes, I am. We got more to be blessed by. Jesus gave us the Eucharist. I get to receive him every day if I want to. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And see, that's the whole point. There comes a basic theology. I used to deal with high school kids and that a lot. And so I used to listen to this Dawson McAllister. And it was the greatest thing because it was a live call-in talk show for two hours every Sunday night in the States. And the high school kids would call all around just to talk to this uh, minister. And so it was their Thanksgiving. And we have a big, it's the greatest, I think, holiday in the States is Thanksgiving. All you do is eat and thank God it's the greatest thing. And so it was the Thanksgiving thing. And so he was asking these high school kids to call in and tell them what they're most grateful for. And so one guy calls in first and he says, what you grateful for, son? He said, I'm grateful. I'm a great athlete. And to God be the glory. To him be the glory. I'm an athlete for him. He's giving me all these great, great gifts. And he's going on. And then someone else called. What are you grateful for, sweetheart? And she says, I'm grateful for my family. They've done all these things for me. They really put me first. And all around the world, these kids, I mean, all around the United States, people are calling and saying what they're grateful for. And then the last girl, it was the last thing. And she was about 14 years old. And he says, sweetheart, what are you most grateful for? And she says, what am I most grateful for? I am most grateful that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. That's a Christian. Is that what you're most grateful for? Because that was the most important thing that ever happened to you. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for us to redeem us. If Jesus would not have died, we would not be redeemed. That's what God is. If the cross means nothing, then God is not loved. So even on your worst day, you can sit there and think, he died for me. When I die on my gravestone, it's already been done. When I, and I'll die at 120 because the good die young. But it sits there. It's going to be Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. And Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 is, I have been crucified with Christ. So a life I live now is no longer my own. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. I still live my human life, yes, but it's a life of faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. The most important thing that ever happened to me was Jesus died because he loved me and gave his life for me. That's the number one reason we're blessed, no matter what life throws at you. Someone loved you so much that they gave their life for you. And that's the gospel that we're proclaiming as ministers. Huh? And so when we're sitting there, we're not telling you, hey, you're going to hell, you're doing all this stuff. There are times, like if you listen to any of my stuff, I talk about that stuff a lot. 
But when I'm one-on-one with people or if I'm knowing people, like usually like I sat there and I, I'm not as excited when I came to Australia because it's usually people that know me and know my stuff. The people that I like the best are the pagans, the ones that don't want anything to do with God. To, to have like, because Pope Francis talks about to have the smell of the sheep, huh? I was once in Las Vegas with a buddy and I didn't have my clerics on. We were going out to a, uh, uh, a pub, an Irish pub there. It was the greatest thing. And so uh, I'm sitting there and having, uh, eating this nice, uh, you know, some uh, pub food at, uh, at the place and having a Guinness. And, um, you know, and there, there st- I was a band there from, uh, the band was from Dublin. And it was just two people, these two guys. And so we're sitting at this bar, the bar. It was like, you know, a little area. And there's, we're at a high table there. And these guys were talking to all of us in the bar. And so he sat there and he says, one of the guys says to you two, he says, hey, uh, where are you two from? And I kept my mouth shut and my buddy who's a lawyer married. He said, we're from San Diego. And I thought, now they're going to think we're two gay guys at the bar, you know. <laughs> oh, here we go. So anyway, and that's fine. And I'm like, oh, that's all I need. Anyway, so anyway, so then the guy at the break, the one guy came and sat next to us, sat at our table. And he says to my buddy, what do you do? And Don says, I'm a lawyer. And what do you do? I said, I'm a priest of Jesus Christ. And he says, well, I'm an atheist. I said, that's why God sent a priest of Jesus Christ to the bar here to be with you tonight. And every time they went on break, he came and sat with me and talked to me. And I could proclaim the gospel to him. And I thought, how sad I don't get the chance to do this. This is where I should be. (laughs) Ministry at a bar. I think I could handle it. (laughs) But you need to go to where the people are. Now, you ladies and all know that people don't come to church. They're not coming to us. We need to go to them. And if we're going to them with the gospel, they'll respond. If we just go to them with more rules, they don't want any more rules. They want to know their love. They want to know someone gave their life for them. They want to know this. And what happens is when they know that, then they'll be transformed. So, we're talking about evangelization here. And so this is the way I tell people to evangelize, okay? First thing is you got to pray for people. And I already told you, do this. And another good thing if you're into the Divine Mercy Chaplet is if you know the purpose of people's names or people are driving you crazy, put their name in the chaplet or the rosary. Let's say there's a person named Denise that's driving you crazy. You say, because of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Denise and on the whole world. Because of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Denise and on the whole world. Because of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Denise and on the whole world. Or with the rosary, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for Denise, now and at the hour of her death, amen. So you make it personal. So the people you're ministering to, you write their names down, and you can, like, I have a, a whole uh, retreat program dedicated to divine mercy. And so I says, so what I want you to do, and so let's say we have 40 people coming. I said, I want you to write their names down and keep it there. Because of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Denise and on the whole world. Because of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Frank and on the whole world. Because of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Joe and on the whole world. So the people you're ministering to, you can do this in less than five minutes. And every day, you start praying for the people you're ministering to. And what happens, and people don't think prayer is really important. It's more important than a powerful, prayer is more powerful than a nuclear bomb, right? And so what happens is, when you're praying these things, it's kind of like today the sun is out. It was earlier. But so you, if you took a magnifying glass, you ever take a magnifying glass and put it in the sun? It takes all the rays of the sun, which are everywhere, and it sets things on fire. When you and I pray, 
we become spiritual magnifying glasses. And the grace of God, which is everywhere, is focused through us and sets people and things on fire. And so when you, like the, the, the and I encourage you, because part of the reality, especially if you're ministering, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the prayer that I ask, and I give out a thing that I give everybody, it's the prayer of Cardinal Mercier. You ever see the, uh, the prayer of Cardinal Mercier? Uh, the surrender of the Holy Spirit, submission of the Holy Spirit. It's in that book, so you'll be able to, it, it's in there. And but whatever, it, but it's just as simple as this. Oh, Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, I adore you. Enlighten me, guide me, strengthen me, console me. Tell me what I should do. Give me your orders. I promise to submit myself to all that you desire to happen to me and to accept all that you permit to happen to me. Let me only know your will. Amen. And so every morning I say this, John Paul II, who was the biggest evangelizer of our time, John Paul II, when he was a boy, his father gave him a prayer. And he says, pray this prayer every day. And it was a surrender prayer to the Holy Spirit. Because now the Spirit of the living God can bring these people to him. So when you want to be an instrument, you, you and you can do the come Holy Spirit for the hearts of your faithful people, whatever Holy Spirit prayer you want, find it and pray it every day. Because now you're going to be his instrument. And so, there, so you're filling yourself with the Spirit. The Spirit knows what these people need, whether apart from Him or in Him. So you're praying for them. You're becoming a spiritual magnifying glasses. So that's the first thing you do. That's why prayer is the most important thing any minister does. The second thing you do is you love them. It's just simple. You love them. So they should think you as being the most loving person there ever was. Huh? And to love people, like I said earlier, it's not easy. It's hard. It's very hard. Huh? I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, and both my parents were cops. My mother graduated top ever from the Pittsburgh Police Academy. And I always say, she's still alive, and I always say she missed her vocation. She should have been God. She knows everything. But anyway, <laughs> and my dad was a cop, and my dad was a canine man. And so to be a cop isn't an easy reality. You know, every time you get a call, it's for something bad. I knew any day I could become a, uh, an orphan. And so some cops I've known throughout the years, and I've ministered to them for many years now, they drink to numb the pain. And so I knew one cop became a very bad alcoholic. He left his wife, left his kids, and he moved to Las Vegas because everybody's happy in Las Vegas. Did you know that? And he got a new wife, new kids, but he kept drinking and drinking and drinking. And so after a few years in Las Vegas, he found out everybody wasn't happy there. So he moved to Houston, Texas because everybody's happy in Houston, Texas. But he kept drinking and drinking and drinking. And this man at 43 years of age, which is quite young, is it not? Baby was dying of cirrhosis of the liver. I was a senior in college seminary at the time because I entered at 17 I'm a lifer, can you tell? Anyway, and so uh, his wife called me, who I knew, and she says, Larry, he's dying. I know you're very busy, but can you come out? And I said, of course, of course I'll come out. So I flew out to Houston, Texas. When I walked in the ICU room, I wasn't prepared for what I saw. Here was this man, only 43 years of age, who looked like he was 90 dying of AIDS. He had pure gray hair, a human skeleton, he couldn't talk to me. He was on a respirator. And he just looked horrible. So I walked into the IC room and I go, you look like hell. I have a negative humor. I don't know if you knew that or not. But, and he smiled, but he couldn't talk to me. And so I picked on him. I uh, prayed with him. I made fun of him, all this stuff for the week. And then I'll never forget, I had to leave and go back to graduate from, uh, what was this, September uh, that year. I was going to graduate in, in May. So that's exactly what I said to him. I said, listen, I got to go. But you know, I'm going to be graduating from college in May. It'd be great if you could be there. And he shook his head up and down, but we both knew this was going to happen. This guy was going to die. 
And he said, okay, listen, I'll pray for you. Well, doesn't that sound holy? Oh, it's priests, seminarians, we're so holy. Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, thank you, thank you. And so I sat there, and as I was walking out of the room, I wanted to get one last look at this man. As I got one last look at him, here this man's desperately calling me back with his hands, desperately. I'm thinking, what's the matter? So I ran around the other side of the bed. I go, what's the matter? What's the matter? What can I do for you? And this man grabbed me with what strength he had left. And he started hugging me and he pulled me so close to himself and he's hugging me very, very tight. And as he's hugging me really tight, I go, I look up and I go, yeah, I love you too, dad. And a little later, my dad died. The only time I ever told my dad that I loved him was on his deathbed. Why? Because he was an alcoholic. He was a mean alcoholic. And I spent my whole life judging my father instead of loving my father. Huh? Jesus Christ only gave us one commandment, just one. John chapter 13, verse 34. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 35, he says, this is how all people know you're my disciples, because you love one another. And then he forbid us, he forbid us to judge. And yet we Catholics are great judges. We're not so great lovers. So what people need to see us who are the followers of Jesus is people who love them. Now, we always meet people where they are, but we must leave them. We must love them enough to never leave them where they are. If you want to be loved just as you are, drive through the McDonald's and that person will love you just as you are as long as you give them $2 for the burger. That's not what ministry is. Ministry is meeting people where they are and bringing them higher to Jesus. And you love them home. And see, when we're ministering to families, just love them. If they, if they know that, you know, I love her because she loves us. It's not about rules. It's not about her ministry. It's about her loving us. You'll get them to do anything if you love them. And then the final thing to do to evangelize, so first you pray, then you love, and you must do this in order. You pray, you love, then you witness. You will be my witnesses. And what a witness is, is you just share with them what Jesus Christ has done for you. You share with them the love of Jesus. You share with them the power of Jesus. You share with them the, the greatness of the truth, that God loves you and gave his life for you. And then when people experience this, they're going to want to know more. Then they'll come. If, you know, if when people come to, uh, like if you have a program and people have to go sit through the program, they're going to hate it because all they're doing is getting more information. But if they know that they're going to come to a place where you're going to love them and however you're going to decide to do that, how do you make people feel welcome when they come into the thing? Do you spend time with them? Is there a presence there? Do you somehow put them in a group and talk about certain things about the struggles they're dealing with in their own lives? Do you give them an environment that you can witness or the people you have in the groups can witness? Because everybody's deepest need is to be loved. Is that correct? And so if we meet them at their deepest need, then we can bring them to the true God of love. And the church, by definition, you know, in my new book, I'm just irritated because, do you have Hard Rock Cafe down here? I love Hard Rock. Do you, not, do you know what the theme or the motto of Hard Rock Cafe is? Love all, serve all. 
Wouldn't that be the great motto of the Catholic Church? <laughs> to love all and serve all. That doesn't mean when we say love all people, we're saying everything's okay. That's not what that means. Jesus loves everybody. Is that correct? Is there anybody Jesus does not love? So there's no excuse for us to not love everybody. And they say, we, and, and Jesus loved them. Like what, uh, not Lazarus, but Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus sat there and was doing this, everybody hated Zacchaeus. And so he didn't sit there and Zacchaeus is up there. He came down and he didn't say to Zacchaeus, now Zacchaeus, once you get your life in gear, I'm going to come to your house. Is that what he did? He did not, Jesus did not minister like that. He came down this sinner everybody hated. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. And table fellowship, you know, was intimate thing. Becomes one with that person, what he's saying here. And everybody went nuts. And as soon as Zacchaeus experienced this mercy and love of Jesus, immediately he repented. I'll give every, I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll fix everybody I ever defrauded and I'll give half of my stuff to the poor. Immediately. Because he was loved by Christ. We have lost that and we need to find it. And when we find that, many people will come home. They'll come back to church. Because again, what I, I, when I became pastor 17 years ago, on the way out, there's just one thing I put in the, the back so everybody sees it. Love one another. And I say, if we are not a community of love, we have failed Jesus Christ. Period. All people will know you're my disciples because you love each other. We must be a community of love. And if the deepest need in people's lives is to be loved, they'll come banging on our doors to get in. But they don't always find us that way. That's where we begin. And that's where we bring them home. And the thing that'll help you is the spirit of love. You got it? Get it? Gonna do it? May each of you know his love today and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He was Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. That was Father Larry Richards with the Holy Spirit. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.